Welcome to week two, week two of a series on country music. If you hate it, you hate it. If you love it, you really love it. Before we get into this, because I've got another song to talk to you about and another story to share with you. Before we go there, what's coming is something you and I need to talk about, Easter. Now, Easter is one of those moments that if you were to invite somebody to join you at an Easter service, they are most likely to say, sure. And so here's what I want. Every location, East, West, RCMU, all of you have the authority and power to invite somebody to come with you to one of the services. And so what we believe wholeheartedly is that you and I together, if, if that one person would just matter enough to you for you to kind of go beyond the, well, what if they react bad? Or what if they make fun of me? Or what if they just say no? If you were to go beyond that and say, you know what, I care about you, so I want to invite you to come hear about Jesus at Easter I think if you and I do that, we're able to reach people, the people that God is hoping you and I will invite. So Easter's coming. If you haven't already thought of who to invite, start thinking about it, but more so start inviting them because sometimes it takes more than a, just one invitation. So that's coming up. Get ready. Now back to country music. Country music is one of those parts of life that can be controversial. It can actually lead us to like, I hate that so passionately that you bar all country music from any of your friends that can't listen to it. Some of you, that's all you listen to. So I did some studying of country music. Yeah, that's kind of nerdy, but it'll, it'll make sense. So there's been studies done on country music and there have been four predominant themes since it hit mainstream in the mid 60s. Now, today, the predominant theme is love and devotion. You listen to country music nowadays, it's going to typically be some sort of love song or devotion to some person, and, and, and it's, it's not like it used to be. See, how it used to be back in the mid-60s when it hit mainstream and got real popular, and in fact, I would say the stereotypes about country music fit this. Here's one of the themes. It's all over. So he's like, hey, everything's over. I'm going to write a song about it. And that's what country music happens. So, so the whole idea, my, my truck, it's dead and gone and done. Uh, or, or the relationship, it's over. That's what country music used to be about. Another one, it's all over. It's not working out. <laughs> Those relationships that, uh, well, you're, she left you or you left her. And the, the theme of country music, when you and I make fun of it, we talk about well, my dog died, my truck died, my ex is now another ex, and things are going bad, and country music got that whole branding. It's not working out. So we picked a song, and, and this song, I think, well, examples it well. It's, it's more modern. It wasn't written in the 60s. 
But the song shows us that whole it's not working out. Let me show it to you. Uh, well, you know those times when you feel like there's a sign on your back. Most of us are like, yeah. That says, I don't mind if you kick me. Seems like everybody has things go from bad to worse. You think it can't get worse than that, and then they do. That is the stereotype of country music. It's when you and I have this just mess of a life, right? Things don't go well, whether it's relationship or your truck. What it's talking about is there's a word about it. There's a word that, that describes it, I think, extremely well. It's, it's maybe not a word you call it at the time, but later you do. It's the word trial. The word trial. Now, this word is something you can identify with. So, so I want us to go through this because there's multiple definitions. When I put up trial, some of you are just thinking O.J. Simpson. So I want you to kind of process this even more deeply than that. Let, let me show you one definition of trial. Trial, it's a suffering experience. You're like, oh, yeah, country music. That's what it's all about. When I say trial, some of you, that's all you're thinking about. I am in this suffering, horrific moment. This is a bad moment, bad season, bad life. And that you're like, I'm living in a trial. Here's another definition of trial. An annoying thing or a person. <laughs> Maybe you're sitting next to a trial. I, I don't know your opinion of that. Don't tell them right now. But, but trial can be this person, not just in a moment or a season, but a person. And they are really difficult to be around. But that's not the trial I want to talk to you about. It's the third definition that helps us understand this. The act of testing or proving. It's the act of, of testing who you are, uh, testing what you're about, testing what, what you actually truly deep down processing, thinking, actions, all that put together, what you truly do in life. And you and I, that if we're really open about this, you and I have a tendency to go through these seasons that are actually trials, the bad moments, the circumstances where, where school is terrible. Uh, maybe going home and your marriage is so broken that it just feels like it's constantly being tested. Parents, come on. If you're a parent, you get this. You feel like sometimes that's what parenting is, this constant testing that your child is going through, that you're going through. We all understand trials. In fact, every one of us, I don't care if you're just super young or if you've lived life a while, we get trial. Trial Trials are not fun. There's nothing about them that, that is like, woo, I'm so excited about this. So here's a problem, though, with trials. The Bible speaks directly to them. The Bible talks about trials and has a pretty radical view about the testing and the proving and the tough times of life. I'll show it to you, and you'll understand why it's radical. Consider it. Pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Pure joy? I mean, does that not seem ludicrous, radical? Some of you might say, in, at least in your head, stupid. This idea that when you're in a trial, when you're being proven, tested, when you are in a process of a season that seems like this massive, crazy storm is pouring all over you, that the Bible says, consider that a good moment. So why? The Bible doesn't leave us hanging. In fact, when you read the next verse, it begins to help us understand. Because, 
you know that the testing of your faith, your life, what you believe, what you think is true about God, but even life in general, produces perseverance. Perseverance is the key word there. See, that perseverance word is something you actually want. I believe with all my heart that, that whether you've thought about it or not, you want to persevere because you have to think of the opposite of this. If you are married and you choose not to persevere, if you're the one that gives up first, do you understand what that communicates about you and your view of people? How about this again, parenting? You want to persevere. If you're at a job that you, when you first started it, it was a good job, but it became tough. You want to persevere because if you quit everything in your life, you will be so full of shame and regret. You'll start to think differently about yourself, the things that aren't true. I know this about you and about myself. We want to persevere. I don't know people who start races, start jobs, start families, have a new beginning, and at the beginning, are going, I don't want to persevere. Every one of us wants to, but not every one of us does. And so when you're going through a trial, which we all do, what are some of the enemies of this? I'll show you one. Complaining. See, I know some of you are like, but David, i got to talk about it. I know. Talking about your problem and complaining about your problem are two different things. Many of us complain like crazy. See, complaining is when it's not just this one moment with that one confidant that you're going to talk about and process. Complaining is when you just want to talk about it, but you don't want to do anything about it. You're just complaining. You're just airing it out, and then the next day, air it out again and air it out again. And, and if you don't know what we're supposed to do regarding complaining, the Bible's clear on that too. Philippians tells us, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Some of us like, need to post this in our house or in our workplaces. Do everything. I hate that word. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Grumbling. Grumbling is just complaining. It's like, hey, here's my issue. Here's my problem. And just leaving it there. Some of us, your greatest enemy to you having perseverance is that you're doing nothing about it. You're just complaining about it. Here's another enemy. It's simply stated self-pity. It's where you're not complaining about it. You're just going, well, guess that's my life. Poor me. It's self-pity puts you in a place where it's, it's like surrender. It's like, you know what, my trial... This is unfair. This is bad. No one is doing what they should be doing. Or, or, and I've been hurt. I've been wounded. And, and my season of horrible rainstorms, this is, I just give up. Poor me. It's like get your favorite dessert, sit on the couch, and do nothing for hours every single day. Self-pity. For those of you right now who have given up on your current trial, you surrender. You're like, I'm done. Perhaps you never were taught a powerful truth in Scripture, Philippians 4.13. I can do all this through him, him being God, if you're new to this, who gives me strength. I can do all this. A lot of times this is taken out of context. This doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're superhuman. It's saying that whatever you're going through, your trial... If you want to persevere, you need God, and he will give you the strength. You can actually 
get through this. But self-pity and complaining will rob you of all of that. If you're interested, if it intrigues you at all, this idea that you can walk through a, a bad season, a trial, or as the song says, if you can go through hell, if you want to know how to get out of it, if you want to know how to persevere through it, we can press into a story about Jesus and his disciples. See, Jesus was with his disciples. In fact, he had been, he'd been teaching for a long time. He was teaching in a boat. Oftentimes, he would stand in a boat at the edge of shore, in essence, and let the water become his microphone to everyone listening there. And so he's preaching, and he's preaching, and he's preaching, and he gets done, and they're done with the day, and he's like, all right, let's cross over. So you need to know some details, and let me read it to you, and, and this will make sense to you. That day, when evening came, so he's like, hey, got to stop the sermon He said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. Now, let's just, just before we move on to this. So they're going to cross over. What we know based on what is said in the Bible and based on what we know about this, what's called the Sea of Galilee, they're going to cross a five-mile stretch. Five miles. So it's not like a small little body of water. There's five miles they're going to cross. Jesus is tired. They've been serving people all day long. And he's like, all right, it's getting dark. Let's cross and go to the other side. It's five miles away. Leaving behind the crowd, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Huh. Nearly swamped. See, you and I know squalls. We're in South Dakota. It's if you've ever been driving or just being at your house, and all of a sudden it seems like a nice day, then, then boom, snap, all of a sudden snow is coming out. It's a complete whiteout, and you can't see anything. And then not long after that, it goes away, a squall. It's all of a sudden this weather system, boom, it's there. Can you imagine being on a boat in the middle of a five-mile stretch and a squall comes? That's different than watching it out of your living room window. <laughs> so picture this. They're in the midst of a major squall pouring down on this boat, and it's horrific. It's rain not just coming down into the boat. It's rain pouring down and waves coming up all over. So you have water at all angles pouring into the boat. That's scary. That's intense. If you've ever been in a storm and you are not in a safe environment, you are not at home, maybe you're just in your car, it's intense. But you got to know what was going on. See, Jesus is with them. He's told them, let's go to the other side. That other side comment is a big comment. It's Jesus saying, hey, let's go to the other side. He's not flippantly saying that. He means it. He's God. And the story begins to unravel and get intense. Jesus was in the stern Sleeping on a cushion. <laughs> I, I think it's funny that there's a massive storm going on and Jesus is asleep. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? See, I love this. This is good because this is what you and I have said to God. Don't you care if I drown? So if you, if you just don't picture this, let me help you. 
Massive rainstorm pouring into the boat, waves coming to the boat. They've got buckets and they're scooping the water out. Some of these guys are fishermen. They've been in this, but it's so intense they are now scared. And their comment to Jesus is, don't you care if I drown? Come on. Have you ever been in a trial where you're like, God, do, why are you making me go through this? Do you care about my life? Why does it seem like you care about other people? Come on. You've been in situations where it feels like God is sleeping on the job and not paying attention to you. All of us have been there. That's why this story is so real so powerful for our own lives. So you may have asked, like, why does God let us be in the midst of these nasty storms? Why does he make us and let us go through these horrible trials? I'll tell you, God uses trials to build trust. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to get to a place where, where you are leaning on him, about him, depending on him. So he'll let you, whether you like it or not. See, that's the hard part. He'll let you, whether you like it or not, go through a season of storms where the money isn't where you want it to be. The relationships aren't as healthy as they should be. The fairness in your life is just not fair. School, work, lots of things are not going the way that they should. And God lets you go through that. And you wonder, don't you love me? If you loved me, you wouldn't let me go through any trials. No, he's trying to build trust in you because he knows this about life. Adversity is necessary. And you and I don't like it. (laughs) We don't. But you won't deny it. Because if you've ever worked out before, you know that that adversity, what you're doing to your muscles... What you're doing to your lungs, you're building them up. But that's adversity. Adversity is necessary to become a strong person. And in fact, if you walk this even further into your life, most of us would say that our deepest of friendships are deep because we went through adversity together. Most families that say we are a strong-knit family, they're saying that because they have weathered the storms. They've gone through adversity and I, that's why that, that earlier verse, the whole idea of make, like, be happy, be, be okay with a trial, it's because it's necessary. And you and I, I mean, come on, you and I are not mature enough to sign up for our own trials. We just wouldn't do it. I mean, you could say right now you would, but you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't sign up for all of the trials that you need to be the person that you need to be. And the disciples are in this boat fearing death. You notice the whole drowning word. Fearing death and Jesus, their savior, their teacher, their source of strength and hope is asleep. Head on a pillow. And they're going, don't you care about us? So he does wake up. Let me show you what happened. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, be quiet, be still. Now, this one little sentence here is a big deal. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Don't forget this. Don't forget this. He got up, rebuked the wind first, 
rebuked the wind first and said to the waves second, just helping you understand the order, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, the reason I pointed out the order, here's the order just in case you missed the whole thing. Uh, he, he woke up and he told the storm to shut up. <laughs> and then he talked to the disciples. He dealt with the danger facing the disciples. He dealt with what was scaring the disciples. And then he dealt with the disciples. I just want to make a simple observation here. Bad times do not mean that God hates you. And if you're very vulnerable and willing to be honest, you've wondered this. Bad times do not mean God hates you. And that simple little sentence, the fact that in the midst of their fear and their trial and the nasty storm going on, he could have rebuked them first, scolded them first, and then let the storm keep going. That's what he could have done. But he wakes up, and because he has this great love for them, and he knows that they will only hear truth in a certain way, he deals with what's scaring them. Bad times do not mean that God hates you. So how do you get through this? How, how do you take a trial, a legitimate trial, and overcome it? Because truthfully, every time you cry out to God and say, God, will you make it stop pouring? He's not always going to do that, and you need to know that. What's better than hoping God stops the rain is having a plan. Bad times require a plan. And many of us, okay, many of us don't have one. That's why when we talk about finances through this church, we talk about that all the time. That we're saying if you don't have a budget, you don't have a plan, and you're in trouble. A plan is critical, especially bad times. Let me just have you process this very openly and honestly. If you are a person that is going to go through a trial, maybe not right now, but you will, are you willing to have a plan? Do you want to have a plan? Because if you're willing and want to have a plan, the Bible also gives us a plan for trials. You may not know this. Many of you are like, hey, be happy about your trial. This is what the pastor said. And we go off and like, I'm supposed to be happy about this, but you don't know what to do about it. There are things that you're supposed to do in the midst of a trial. I'll show you. 2 Corinthians teaches this. We prove ourselves trials, right? We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. <laughs> now, I get it. Some of you are like, what? What was the first, what was the first one? And it begins to kind of build upon each other, and you begin to lose like, what this is teaching. So, so let, me, let me teach what to do with this verse, what this verse is teaching you and I about trials. First one, purity. When you're in the midst of a trial, you need to be on guard about your purity. And now here, don't add lightning to the storm. You need to be on guard about what's going on in your life and the way when you're going through a trial, you're going to be tempted. Bottom line, all of us, this happens. In fact, when you're going through a trial, through a storm, you're going to, oh, let me give you an example. You have a bad day, so it seems logical in your brain, bad day, go get drunk. Don't add lightning to the storm. 
See, you and I have a tendency to, to add to stuff. Oh, you have a fight with, with your spouse? Oh, I'm going to text some people all about the fight and bring them into the fight too. No, don't add lightning to the storm. Purity, that's why this verse says deal with your purity. Make sure, make sure that in the midst of your storm, the rainstorm, it's coming down. You're, you're taking buckets and trying to save yourself. Do not make other decisions that compromise the whole situation. You know this. What I'm telling you right now, you know. But most of us are guilty of not listening to it. So don't just know it. Live it out. When you're going through a trial, be on guard about your decisions, your purity decisions. When you're walking through a mess of stuff, sometimes the best thing to do is to tell your friends, no, I'm not going out tonight. Sometimes it's, hey, I'm not going to listen to my feelings right now because they're going to lie to me. So I'm going to back off what I was going to text. Purity. That trial that you're going through or will go through will overcome you if you add lightning to that storm. But that's not the only thing the verse said. Let me if, if, just remind you, understanding. It mentioned you need understanding. Keep your compass close. Keep your compass close. So, so in the midst of a storm, when it's raining down, you and I, we'll, we'll take the buckets and we're trying to save our own lives, keep, keep everything just in order. And at the time, we begin to disconnect from what tells us which direction to go to. And when you have a storm coming down, it's easy, it's so easy to get disoriented, to let your problems start to tell you where you are, who you are. And this understanding, this verse is so helpful. Not only make pure choices, make sure you don't add lightning to this problem, but maintain understanding of what life is actually about. You know that I'm going to tell you the Bible. The Bible is your compass. It's one of your compasses. It's a way for you and I to learn how to actually know where to go and what to do. If you're in a trial right now, I strongly suggest you dive into what's called the book of Psalms. And when you get done with Psalms, go to Proverbs. And that can help you be your compass. But even beyond what the Bible teaches us, there are practical things you and I can do. Let me give you an example. You might be familiar with this brand called Life is Good. Life is Good, if you do anything outdoors, hike, whatever, or just like t-shirts, you know about this brand, Life is Good. You've seen it, the stickers on the back of cars, Life is Good. So let me, let me give you some history. This was started by two brothers. Two brothers, there were six kids, but two of them eventually started this business that's worth over $100 million now. Life is good. Now, some of us are like, oh, I bet they had a pretty easy life. Sounds good. Yeah, I'd make a company called Life is Good. Well, let me tell you about their growing up. While they were kids in elementary school, their parents were in a nearly fatal car accident. Their mom made it out of the accident. Okay. Their dad was so injured, he lost the use of his right hand. What that did to his dad was detrimental to the whole family. Their dad became pretty grumpy and upset with life. He would begin to mistreat them verbally. He was a grump. He was extremely difficult to be around. So much so that the family had a difficult time even engaging dad anymore. And so the mom, in her compass kind of a way, decided we can't let dad's negativity 
infiltrate all throughout the whole family. So here's what she did. I think this is, this is absolutely brilliant. Every night at the dinner table, she made everyone sit down and have dinner. So you've got six kids, and at least mom, dad didn't often come to dinner with them. But they would all gather around the table, and there was a rule at the table. Here it was. They had to come up with one good thing that happened that day. Just one. They had, or it could be funny. But it had to be, had to be good. It had to be positive in some way. So everyone had to go around the table and be like, okay, here's, here's what happens. Here's, here's how this played out. And by the time they were done, oftentimes the story says that they were laughing, that they were smiling, they were crying, but they were good cries. And, and they began to bond them together that no matter how their dad was behaving or how life was treating them in general, they understood one true fact, life is good. And years later, a brand would be made, a company would be formed, life is good. When you're in a storm, when you're going through a trial, you will have to diligently, intentionally keep your compass close. And I would urge you to open up your Bible, but even make it even more practical than that at mealtimes or before bedtimes or just throughout the day, what are you reminding yourself of? And I hope it's life is good. Now that verse kept going on. Let me sum up the last part of it. It said that you and I, in the midst of trials, will need patience, kindness, and love. If you're like, whoa. Here's what this means. Don't push people out of the boat. I'll fess up, okay? I'll fess up. When I have tough moments, stressful moments, I push people out of the boat. When I have a stressful this or that, I often will be uh, less graceful with my kids or even my wife, Katie. Sometimes I even bring it into the workplace. I think you might be similar, that when you have tension going on around you in your life, you take it out on other people. That's why fights create other fights. That's why tensions create battles. You and I, are often in moments where trial going on, rain pouring down, you're scooping, 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 and in the process, getting mad at everybody around you, pushing them out of the boat when they could have helped you row. They could have helped you scoop water out. And this verse helps us. You want to know how to walk through a trial? You got to make sure that your actions are pure. Don't add lightning to the storm you got to keep your compass close. Make sure that you understand life is good even though your situation may be bad. And when you've got people around you, patience, kindness, love, don't push people away from you when stuff is stressful. So let's go back to where we began. Consider it pure joy. If you don't know what pure joy means, in, in the original language, it really got into this. This is good. It's, it's genuine appreciation, genuine gladness that when you're going through a trial, you don't have to lie about it and say, I am so happy that I'm going through this. But what you can do is look at every trial that you go through and say, I appreciate this because it's going to build in me if I respond well a perseverance and you want perseverance I know and in a group this large many of us have the rain coming down so hard that you can't see in front of your face it's dark 
it's cold and you feel like you're gonna drown and you're wondering why God won't wake up. I can give you his perspective. He's saying, trust me. Trust that I love you. And in this trial that you're going through, it can make you better. So wherever you find yourself, whether you like the circumstances or not, God's perspective on your circumstances could very well be, you need this, but make sure you deal with it the right way. Be pure, keep the compass close, and don't push people away from you. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you. Even though we don't feel like it, we thank you for the trials in our lives. They are so tough. God, they are not fun. But I pray, God, on behalf of everyone listening, that you would remind us that you are nearby and that you love us and that you are not forcing us to go through this because we are bad people or because you don't like us. God, we love you with all of our hearts and we ask for the necessary wisdom and strength to get through this storm. God, I pray for those who are just now deciding to give their lives to you. Remind them that you are there to walk the rest of their life with them, by them. Those who have forgotten that you care about them, God, just remind them. You're so incredibly good and gracious about that. Please remind them that you love them. God, we pledge to you that in the midst of our trials, we will find sincere joy that these trials are developing perseverance. Thank you for walking with us on this. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.